Well, man, we have already had a full day. Do you feel it? Uh, is your heart full? Uh, man, I just, I love days like today. Uh, and as we dive into Galatians 2 uh, today, I, I am hoping that in your soul it only gets better and better. Last week we started our journey through uh, the book of Galatians by reading through and leaning into Galatians chapter 1. And the theme that Paul, the author of this letter uh, to the Galatians, is, is really captured in Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. And it says this, that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And remember, what we're going to find again and again as we continue to lean into this book is that Galatians is calling us to remember the liberating freedom found in relationship with Jesus. And, and we, as we draw close to him through the grace of God, it's because of what he did. It's not because of what we have done. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says it this way, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's, this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And what we find in chapter 2 is this continuation of Paul's pleading with the church in Galatians and really to us to resist the draw to approaching knowing God through a list of things that we see will make us okay and to walk in a relationship with him. Not, not just to know, but to believe that it's through faith that we're saved. Not by works, not by being a good person, not by saying the right thing, and not by voting this certain way, and, and, and not by not doing these things and making sure that you do these things. No, when we meet Jesus, our lives will change. We will do things differently, but those things that we do differently will grow us. They will not save us. To quote Paul, if we put anything except who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means for our lives in the center of the message that we preach, it is no gospel at And in chapter 2, in this continuation of this fight for clarity in light of the distortion that happens to the true gospel by adding customs and practices to it and, and, and what it means for us to be saved and be justified and, and be made new, our standing with God is not affected by what we do. But what we do reflects our standing with God. Are you hearing me? As I said it last week, it's, it's not that what we do or don't do determines if we're loved by God. What we do and don't do determines if we love God. 
There is change in transformation that happens in our lives. There are desires to do things and to be about things that, that you never would have been drawn to before you met Jesus and the true gospel. But those things don't save us. Jesus saves us. Jesus to his own disciples in John 14 made this so clear when Thomas, one of his disciples, wanted to get it right. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Can you hear it? He's like, God, you said that we're supposed to know the way to heaven, but we have no idea what you're talking about. And listen to what Jesus said. He wanted, well, he wanted the roadmap. He wanted the list. Make sure you do this. Make sure you stay away from this. And Jesus' response to him was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you know my Father as well. If you really know me, if you've really responded to the true gospel, you know the way. You will know my father as well from now on. You do not know him and have seen him. I'm sorry, you do know him and have seen him. It's in relationship with God that we will begin to reflect the heart of God. And hear me. When we meet Jesus, we are rescued from the sin that we have all done here on earth and the consequence of that sin after we die. I'm going to go not trendy right now. Can I go not trendy? Is that cool with y'all? It's not in vogue to talk about hell. It's not cool, okay? What we need to talk about is heaven, right? And what we need to talk about is the love of God and the character of God and the nature of God. Don't talk about hell. Listen, hell and Jesus' desire to rescue us from eternal separation with God and the suffering that is described all through the Bible is not a threat on the character of God? You hear me? The existence of hell does not threat the character of God. The existence of God proves, it, proves his grace and his love and his nature that he wants to rescue us from hell. So if you're like, how could a loving God send people to hell? Wrong question. How in the world could a righteous God not send us all to hell? That's the right question. When we, again, this is what we do in the West. We put ourselves in the middle of the gospel. And we interpret God as love. Therefore, he must love the way that I love and I couldn't do it. You're not God. We all deserve to go to hell. All of us. And the existence of hell does not threat, is not a threat to the kindness and the goodness of God. The existence of hell is proof of his grace that he rescues us from it. 
It does not challenge if God is good. It proves that God is good because he doesn't want us to go. And he made a way out for us. Revelation 21 verse 6 says this. It is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the springs of water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is Jesus talking to you and me. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they all will be consigned to the fierce lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. But hear me, hell is not just for those who reject the gospel and live a life of lies and deception that will find themselves in eternal suffering. Listen to what else Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will be separating people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goat, goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in and I needed clothes and you clothed me and I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Remember, the religion of our day and the religion in Jesus' day was it was a desire to look saved and not act saved. Say the right things, be in the right place, but it didn't affect how you lived your life. And so the righteous that were more obsessed about looking good on the outside and not having transformation on the inside are looking at Jesus as he has separated those who are going to heaven and those who are going to hell. And they are saying, where were you? Where were you when you needed to be fed or when you were thirsty? When, when, when did we see you a stranger and invite you and, and need clothes to clothe you? When, when did we see you as sick in prison and go visit you? And Jesus will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now listen to this. Then he said to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Like I said last week, trying to look saved does nothing for you. Jesus is about us receiving him and therefore being transformed on the inside, which will affect then how we live on the outside. Therefore, all of us, all of us, those who live right and those who don't, those who made good decisions last night and those who didn't. 
those who grew up on the right side of the railroad tracks and those who grew up on the wrong. Those of us who can't even think about anything that we did wrong and we're so embarrassed to share our testimony. To those of us who went the other direction and we're embarrassed to share our testimony because we did everything wrong. It's not about where we start. It's about where we finish. And God is making it clear to us that it doesn't matter if we are righteous in the eyes of man or if we are part of everything that we perceive to be wrong with society, we all need to be saved. The gospel is for all of us. The gospel is not for some of us. And this is what we really see become the focus for Paul in Galatians 2, is that we all need salvation. Galatians 2, verse 15 Paul writes this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have to put our faith in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one is justified. Paul is saying that, that, that we might be starting at different places, but we all need the same thing. He goes on to say in verse 17, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. <gasps> what? We're supposed to be among sinners? This is dangerous. Because then what if we become a sinner? Because, you know, sin kind of works like that, right? It, it kind of rubs off on you. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live in Christ. Now listen to verse 20. This is where we're going to sink our teeth in today. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do, I do not set aside the grace of God. I need the grace of God. This is what Paul's saying. I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What verse 20 begins to do is it turns the conversation from the warnings about all that we can, can do uh, uh, to, that, that will try to affect nothing in regard to our standing with God and begin to open up what it looks like for us to be transformed, to be changed, to, to live like we've encountered the true gospel and not just try to look like we've encountered the true gospel. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What that means is this, inside you, there is you 
and Jesus. The Bible calls this the spirit and the flesh. And to live by the spirit means that we must totally surrender our flesh. Am I talking to anybody? Inside of us, there is both flesh and spirit. And if we want to live by the spirit, then we have to crucify our flesh. All right, can I take this into the real world? Okay, last weekend, I was at a soccer tournament. Okay, my son Kevin played in a soccer tournament in San Antonio. Okay, now here's the thing. I have a long history of not representing my faith well at sporting events. Okay, I have a long, I mean, we're talking about a long history of my wife leaving me to sit alone because she doesn't want to be associated with what's coming out of my mouth. I'm talking about horrible things, making fun of people, you know, I mean, shaming children. I've done it all, man. I mean, I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying that there is me and there is Jesus and, and me seems to come out more on the sidelines, okay? So I have a long history, and, and I've been trying to work on it, right? I, I, because, I, because I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I'm like, okay, I need a little evidence. I need a little fruit of that salvation when it comes to sports. So I'm at the soccer field, okay? The first game goes really well. Kevin scores in like the first, you know, minute. It was, it was sweet. You know, he does a celebration, which is a little much, but we practice it, you know, because... We win. You know what I mean? And, and so he's running around the field doing crazy stuff, and it's amazing, and, and everyone's cheering, right? And we end up tying that game. But it was a good, solid, fought battle, you know? It was a good battle. We go into our second game later that afternoon. Now, this team was playing dirty. You know, I mean, like full-on, like body-checking, tackling kids, you know, and here's the deal. That when you play in these big tournaments, like at times there is a shortage of referees. So you end up having children refereeing children, which ultimately means that these, these teenagers are getting bullied by parents on the sidelines. And you are half compassionate and half joining in. You know what I mean? And so this poor dude who couldn't have been 16, I don't even know if he drove himself there, is, is refing this game, all right, and, and he is allowing just the most awful shenanigans to go. And, and here's the thing. Look, my, my son, Kevin, I adopted him when he was six years old. He's got a little bit of a pass, you know what I mean? Like he's, I like to jokingly say, like, you mess with him at your own risk. You know what I mean? And so he, he gets literally pushed. He beat this kid. I'm talking about full-on arm extension. He flies through the air, belly flops. Now he jumps up getting ready to fight this little kid, right? So I'm trying to be like, Kevin, chill out. I mean, but get one, you know, yeah, just shh. I'm trying to play both. All right, there's both me and Jesus. All right, I'm just being, I'm just trying to keep it 100 with you so we can see how this works in real life. Now, here's the thing. Kids are going to be kids. Can I just be honest? Like, I, I've been a little kid, and, and I pushed, and I kicked, and I tripped, and all that stuff happens, and they're just kids. You know what I mean? But what got me was their coach was egging it on. And he was telling them, because we were better than them, 
Push him. Literally, he's yelling that. Push him. I mean, they were literally, it was like, it was the most dirty thing I've ever even seen. And then the coach is encouraging it. And they're like tripping our guys and shoving them when they're down. I mean, all, I mean, it's embarrassing, right? Now, what I wanted to say was you are the dumbest, classless, worst coach. You don't got no skill. You obviously didn't play. You know, because visually, I'm not going to go any further because I'll get emails. And you, that's what I wanted to say. But how many of you know that we want to say things that we shouldn't always say? Because there is both me and Jesus. And what I wanted to say was you are the worst coach who has ever walked the face of the earth. I wanted to start yelling, you got no class. That's the kind of stuff that makes Liz leave because I'll just, I'll just like stand there and just start yelling, you have no class. You have no class. You have. And she's like, for real? I'm like, I'm going to go the whole game. You have no class. She picks up her chair. She goes to sit with the other families. Now, I'll be honest with you, I feel better even saying it right now. I feel a little liberated. I hope this coach stumbles upon this online. Uh, I felt good. I felt real good. That's what I wanted to do. But that was my flesh. That was not the spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That means that there are going to be things I want to do that if it's not reflected in the fruit of the spirit, then I shouldn't do it. There's going to be things I want to say that if it doesn't sound like the fruit of the spirit, then I shouldn't say it. Because there are two things within us. There is the flesh and there is the spirit. And we need to understand that we're going to feel things. We're going to want to do things that need to be crucified and not materialized. Write that down. That one's catchy. That's a t-shirt. We, we, we're going to want to do things and say things that need to be crucified to the cross and not materialized on everyone who is around us. Think about it in light of the relationships in your life that are hanging on by a thread. Right? Maybe at the end of your rope with your spouse. You just can't take it anymore. You're over it. Maybe your parents, you're like, I just can't deal with them anymore. Maybe it's your boss. I just can't, I can't handle it. Maybe it's somebody that you used to know that's trying to wrong you. I just can't handle it anymore. Whoever it is and whatever the circumstance that surrounds it, if we feel something that is not a fruit of the spirit towards them, it's the flesh that is in us. It's not the spirit of God that has been given to us. Now, we're going to really be leaning into this in a few weeks when we dive into Galatians 5. But I want to give you a little, a little just sneak peek, a little preview 
into what's coming in Galatians 5. It says this in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's going to be things that you want to do that you shouldn't do. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Oh, did you hear that? So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Listen, you are not to do whatever you want. Man, if we grab this, this is going to help. Because we, we hear this and, and we immediately go to immoral things, right? Temptations of the flesh, like lust and, and, and excess. It, but but it's, it's also talking about how we treat people. We, we, don't, we don't apply that scripture normally in how we engage with our spouse. But we are not to do whatever we want. The fleshly desires that come up that are contrary to the spirit of God living in us, when we, when we lean into those things, they, they pull us away from those around us. When we crucify those desires onto the cross, they make a way for us to draw near to those who are around us. Listen, you might be able to justify what you are saying and what you are doing because of what's been done to you. But being able to justify it doesn't mean it's not the flesh. Are you hearing me? I can justify a lot of my flesh, but it's still my flesh. It's not the spirit. There are a lot of things that I want to say in my frustration that are not going to bring me closer to those that I'm frustrated with. They're going to drive me further from them. So listen, before we go tell off our boss and, and before we call our spouse some crazy name and blame them for all the problems that we are walking in, we need to go to the cross of Jesus and put to death the flesh that is in us because I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And how we do that is by casting our cares on the Lord, and he will sustain us. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 55, verse 22. Most of our issues are birthed in life because we're casting our cares on one another. We're throwing the things that frustrate us and overwhelm us and hurt us at those around us when we're actually supposed to cast those things on the Lord. We're supposed to crucify those thoughts and feelings and emotions and not materialize those thoughts, feelings, and emotions. 
Now hear me. Some of you are like, Pastor, are you telling me not to be honest? Not at all. I'm just telling you not to be fleshy and call it honesty. Ooh. Can we sit on this for a little bit? You can be honest and it be in the spirit. But oftentimes we call our flesh being authentic. No. Your authentic self is actually the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Living in patience coming. That's your authentic self because you've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So your authentic self is a self that is filled with the spirit. So don't call your authenticity and your honesty and don't justify it just because you want to act fleshy. No, you're going to want to say some things that you shouldn't say because you should not do whatever you want to do. Well, where am I supposed to go with that? I feel like I'm constipated and I got all these things I need to say. You go to Jesus. You cast your cares on him. You don't cast your cares on those around you. You take your frustration to him. God, I'm frustrated. I don't get it. And then you say, God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can respond and not react to those who are around me? Why? Because I can't do whatever I want to do. I can't just walk around and yell at people because I'm frustrated. No. I can't just be rude to my spouse because, I, because I'm having a bad day. No. I can't discredit you because I feel personally insecure. No, I can't do everything that I want to do. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And we, we've got it all distorted and we think that just like, oh, I just got to speak my mind. No, you don't. Well, no, that's being phony. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's a trend in culture right now that if you don't speak your mind, you're not being yourself. And a lot of what's been spoken should have never been said out loud. Because you can't do whatever you want to do. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so I need to take all of those feelings I have and all that frustration that I have and all that lack of grace that I can show and all that bitterness that I'm harboring and all that frustration that I'm feeling. And I need to go to Jesus and I need to keep going to Jesus until I feel him take off the heavy yoke and replace it with his easy burden. Because that transfer is spiritual. That weight you feel on your shoulders, that's a spiritual transfer that needs to happen. And it's not going to happen by you trying to give it to somebody else. It's only going to happen when you give it to Jesus. We, 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 we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Now listen to verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. 
Paul is reminding us that it's through receiving the grace of God that he has for us that we will be able to keep seeing the flesh that is in us crucified to the cross of Jesus. It's his grace. It's his grace. It's coming today and saying, God, I need your grace. I'm not going to set aside your grace. You know, we have a tendency to set aside the grace of God for ourselves, even if we can lavish it upon others. Even this morning, I woke up, and I don't know if this ever happened to you, I woke up and just felt just accused. Has this happened to anybody else? I hadn't even seen another human being. It was 5 a.m. I hadn't even seen another person. And the voice in my head was like, you are a failure. You're a fraud. No one likes you. You're a horrible parent. It just was on and on and on. And, and for a minute, honestly, I was just like, geez, what did I do last night? You know what I'm saying? Did I wake up and beat somebody up in my dreams? Like, what, what did I do? And then it just hit me like, no, 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 don't set aside the grace of God for yourself. And I was like, God, I, I just ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit because I feel like the voices that I'm hearing right now are, are louder that is coming from my flesh than, than the voice that's coming from your spirit. Because there's two things that are within you. There, there's you, there's your flesh, and there's Jesus. And we have to daily Pick up the cross and crucify our flesh to it and, and say, God, I, I, I'm not deserving. I deserve to go to hell, to burn in the lake of fire that you talked about. But you came, Jesus, and you took my place so that it's no longer I who live, but it's you who live and you got to receive the grace you got to receive the grace don't set aside the grace of God the freedom and the liberation that we're invited into comes with total surrender and total surrender to the person of God and the ways of God and to quote John in John 3 verse 30 he speaking of Jesus must become greater and I must become less it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me can you stand to your feet Today's one of those days where I think if we're honest, we, we all need to respond and we all need to allow the grace of God to fall over us as we look at the fact that what we deserve in Jesus is not what we get when we receive Jesus. And that we have an invitation to crucify all of the fleshly stuff that is within us to the cross and to stop crucifying others with all of our flesh. Are you hearing me? That we take all that stuff to the cross instead of killing everybody around us, we allow it to be killed within us so that 
It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what I want us to do is just worship the Lord this morning. And I want the grace of God to wash over your soul. I want the hope of heaven to wash over you. That if you've set aside the grace of God in your life, that you receive it in a fresh way. If you have been crucifying those around you with your flesh versus crucifying your flesh through the cross, you might just need to repent and say, God, help me be a person who comes to you with my flesh instead of to those who are around me and allow the the death of my flesh to be so big and the spirit of God to be so big within me that I can walk free.